God. So I'm here to encourage them with the right role model, with the right obedient vessel, their lives can change. So I challenge each and every person in this house of God. It's about time that you mentor. It's about time that you call accountability to yourself. It's about time that we start being Christ-like and not Christ. Hallelujah. Jesus is everything. Most importantly, he is an example on how we are called to live on earth. Preparing us to be perfect like him in heaven. I struggle with this message only because it seemed at first kind of elementary. Like I was preaching to my youth group and I only had 20 minutes and I had to try to nail down a point and save them, pull them out of whatever mess they're in, in that 20 minutes. And then go to a game and an activity and entertain them. I can almost hear Sherlock Holmes saying, this is elementary right here, watch this. They already heard this a thousand times. And I struggle with that because it's what God put in my soul over there. He spoke it to me. About we are called to be leaders. We are called to have the community and everyone that is in our presence to look at us. And to be example of how they should live. But we're scared. We're afraid that they will point out our flaws. We're afraid that they won't see us as perfect Christians. It was until the Lord had me stumble across a verse, and it was this morning. It's in 2 Corinthians 11.3, and it says, But I am afraid that as a serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from the silence and the pure devotion to Christ. See, the problem with us as Christians, we try to grow too fast. Everything from the Old Testament leads to Christ and from the uh, New Testament back to Christ, but yet we're always around Christ. We don't focus on Christ like we need to. We don't focus on Christ like He has called us to do, to put Him first. We want to go back into the Old Testament and dig up some kind of knowledge that we think no one else has. We want to go back into the Old Testament to try to, uh, try to build our Bible knowledge of the Old Testament for we can boast. But yet we miss the whole point of Christ and what we're called to do. So I'm going to start in the book of Matthew, chapter 4. And I want to draw your attention to what Jesus did after he defeated every temptation the devil threw at him. Every temptation. From the time, and it starts out in verse 17 of chapter 4. From that time, Jesus began to preach. And to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Amen. You may be seated. I plan on running. <laughs> All right? Don't hide me down. I didn't track me. You know, see here, I'm going to stretch in a minute. So I hope you're ready. If you get a cramp, we'll pray for you because we are believers. Amen. We believe in the power of the name of Jesus Christ. And if we lay hands on you, cramp, you got to go. Amen. Hallelujah. Because ain't no cramp going to take any glory from my God. Amen. Hallelujah. 
I want to draw your attention back to this verse because after he was tempted and after he defeated every temptation the devil tried to hinder him with, he started to preach. And I ain't talking about his sermon on the mount. He, could have, he had the strength. He had done been ministered by angels. He had done defeated Satan. He could have came out and preached and shook the whole earth right at a moment. But he didn't. He started with just a short little sermon. And it said, repent, for kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's it. Look it up. You won't find nothing else on that. That was his message. I'm calling each and every one of us to become more like Christ-like, and I'm going to tell you how we need to do it. Because there's two simple steps that we need to take in in order to be like Christ. First, we need to do like he did. After temptation, after battles, we need to come out and say, repent. We need to preach. We need to begin to speak. To those that God has put us in our lives. Amen. Come on now. He's putting together right here. Because what he's about to do is change the world forever. And he could have done it that very moment. But he's building a stage. He's building people. And it goes on. Matthew 18 through 20. And Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They was casting their nets into the sea, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fisher of men. And at once they left their nets and followed him. And look at the next verse. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, Jesus or James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Hey, he already had two people. He could have easily started preaching to those two people. I mean, he's God, right? He has wisdom. He could have changed their life right there, and they could have been believers. He could have moved on. They could have went south. He went north, and there we go. The gospel would have spread. But he didn't. He said, follow me. Just follow me. I don't know if there's some kind of secret note or maybe a handshake that he gave them for them just to drop their nets off to just follow me, but they seen something in him. They held him to a higher standard. They, they, they made him accountable to the words that he just spit out. Follow me. Follow me. But he continued. And at once, they left their notes. Okay. They were in the boat with their father, Zebedee, mending their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boats, their father, and followed him. See, we are called to be like Jesus, not Jesus. That's the problem when we go out and try to witness to those. We like to, we like to point out their flaws. We like to say, you know, I'm perfect. You're not. No hard feelings, but you still smoke. You shake that, you might be perfect. Maybe not. Maybe you're a gossip too much, you know. I don't, you do, you know. If you would just follow me. You... No, 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 no. When I say we need to hold people that are around us accountable to us, you need to let them see your flaws. That's what it means by follow me. Jesus said, follow me and watch me. Follow me. Imitate me. You see, when we hear people talk all the time, that's why I wanted to, there's an old movie I watched back in uh, before Christ days, and it had a saying, you could talk the talk, but can you walk the walk? And as my wife said it, well, we walk the walk, but can we talk the talk? 
See, a lot of us live our life at a certain standard, but we don't tell anybody why we live our life to this standard. Therefore, God gets no glory for the fact that you stopped drinking. God gets no glory that you got extra money in your account. God gets no glory that you've been delivered from drugs and alcohol. Or maybe you don't have to go bed for bed no more because your lips are closed. You're walking it, but you're not talking it. Or you're preaching it, but you're not walking it. Christ did two things to, to, to set up for his big finale. He preached it and he walked it. He preached it and he led by example. We are all called to be leaders. The problem are, who are we following? Who are we following? That's where the problem comes in. Because believe it or not, each and every one of us are following someone. Or something. But you are following but you're called to grab the hold of the back of Christ Jesus. Tuck your head down and follow. But while you're following him, you're encouraged to reach out and preach and encourage those to follow you and to hold you accountable more than you hold them accountable. Amen. To do that, hey, he could have easily laid out all their sins. He could have easily started pointing. No, he just said, follow me. Because he knew people stop listening to what you say and they watch what you do. Come on. I know I'm, I, I, I minister to young people and you'll be amazed. You know, they hear mom and dad saying this, but they watch mom and dad doing this. It's confusing. You know what I mean? It's, they thought that, hey, everything was supposed to be brand new, new creatures in Christ. They always pass, but yet mom and dad, we're always watching. I know more about you when you don't say nothing. Than I do when he's just blah, 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 blah. But then he jumps in. I want to jump into uh, Matthew chapter 5. And I'm not going to the Sermon on the Mount. Even though we can go there. And I can, we can prick each and every heart. And if we don't leave different by reading the Sermon on the Mountain, Then you already made the rapture. Your corpse is just floating around here for something else. Because in the Sermon on the Mount, it touches each and every one of us. In the Sermon on the Mount, he is strengthening the body. But I don't want to go there. I want to go a little bit past there. Because in Matthew 5.13, he gives a metaphor about the salt and the light. And in this metaphor, see, I never really understood the, the metaphor of the salt. You know, I just, I kind of related it on how I expect, when I eat salt, pretzel, or something like that, I get real thirsty. So I always say, okay, maybe he, just, he wants us to go out and make people more thirsty for him. You know what I mean? Encourage people. But as I did a real, little research, and I'm going to read the the, the passage for you real quick, and then I want to share something with you. And maybe you already know, but maybe you don't. So I'd like to share it with you tonight. And it starts out in uh, verse 13. It says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its savor, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. I'm thinking, oh, man, that's Stinks my thirst out. Um, maybe that's not what he means. And if you continue, you are the light of the world, a city on the hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under their basket. Instead, they set it on a lampstand and it gives light to everyone in the house. So I got on the computer. I was never raised in church. So a lot of this is new to me. I have to, I have to study it wasn't passed down from generations. Some of you have been blessed and it's been passed down through the sacrifice of your mother and father. 
Or maybe your grandparents who prayed you and brought you to church and battled with you over and over until it stuck. Until you went off and then came back because it was inside your DNA or it's inside, you know, uh, as the word says, raise a child up, all y'all to be, and he will return. You came back. So maybe you already know all this. And I, I even remember I had a young person, and I was just a youth assistant back there, and I gave my testimony. I don't know, it's maybe first time or second time. And he came up to me at the end of it, and he said, man, I wish I had a testimony like that. Here he's envying my troubles, and I'm envying his victories. I said, you want a testimony like you had the testimony? It was easy for me. I did not know right and wrong. I adapted to my situation. They done it, I did it, it wasn't wrong. I bought my first bag of weed off my uncle who was my parent and guardian. It cannot be wrong. This is the guy that told me that my grades are going to drop below an F. <laughs> that he was going to discipline me. But yet he'll sell me a bag of weed to make a profit, okay? So it was easy for me to live that lifestyle because there was no right and wrong. This is how it's supposed to be. This is the survival. If I don't do this, I won't survive. I won't be accepted. I won't be loved. I mean, we all got these reasons why we fall into what we fall into. And I looked at him and I said, but your testimony, you know right and wrong. You battle every day with decisions of right and wrong. And here you are faithful. Here you are standing. That is more of a struggle. I thought Christianity is supposed to be, oh, I am Lord, it's all good, it's easy. Take it all. No, it got harder, church. Now I knew what I was doing was wrong. Now I had to make a call. Now I couldn't hold mom responsible. I couldn't blame a dad that never in my life. I couldn't blame my circumstances. Drugs, alcohol. I couldn't do it any longer. I was a new creature. Accountable now to God. Come on now. You got to be there. You got to be there. But then I ran across a, a columnist here, uh, J.P. Moreland. And he, he kind of breaks it down a little bit, and I liked it, so I want to share it with you. He says, salt had two purposes in the Middle East in the first century. Because of the lack of refrigeration, salt was used to preserve food, especially meat, which would quickly spoil in the desert environment. Believers in Christ are to preserve the world. Preserving it from evil intentions in the society of an ungodly men, those unredeemed naturals of corrupted or naturally corrupted by sin. And second, he said, salt was used then as now as a flavor enhancer. This is what I like here. Hallelujah. In the same way the salt enhances the flavor of the food it seasons, the followers of Christ stand out to those and enhance the, the flavor of the life of this world. Christians live under the guidance of the Holy Spirit and in obedience to Christ. We definitely influence the world for good. As salt has a positive influence on the flavor of our food, it seasons we there in strife, we are to be peacemakers. Where there is sorrow, we are to be ministers of Christ. Binding up wounds. And where there is hatred, we are to exemplary love, of, or show the love of God in Christ, returning good for evil. That's what I want to be. 
I want to be able to go into a situation and lift people up. See, because I've seen heartache. I experienced it. But for some reason, I get such a high off of living people up. I get such a high off helping people. Why? Because I've been called to this. The devil tried to destroy me. He tried to put things in my life and hurt people and do all this because he knew that once I got a taste of this, and I don't know about you, but if you preach to any addict and you can turn them over, an addict for drugs is the best Christian for God. He comes addicted to this. He got to have it. He becomes reliant on it. If he don't, he will relapse. I am an addict for God. Hallelujah. And I remember uh, on Focus on the Family, so I Googled Focus on the Family and metaphors and all this and brings up all kinds of stuff. So if you want to take your time and dig through all that like I did. But I found something here. It says, there are powerful, this, the, or those are powerful metaphors, speaking of the salt and the light. Salt is pres- preservative that works only when it penetrates into food. This is what I like here. It must remain pure to do its job. Jesus says that Christians, likewise, must penetrate society while keep them, keeping themselves from being influenced by sin in the world. We need to penetrate areas of darkness. We must say, follow me, build our army of believers, and penetrate the darkness to preserve. So I thought about it. Jesus did two things. He preached and he did. Hey, Pastor, get his hands off her. Tell him they're in the house of God. Amen. He preached and he did. Preached and he walked. He talked and he walked. He walked and he talked. We like to preach, but we don't want to walk what we're preaching. So when the world sees us at the club after I preached against drinking, after I told them I wouldn't be in the arms of another, they see me at the club listening to the same music that they listen to. And then they judge my God for my filth. See, but I'm a different man. Because I came from sin. And I know sin is at my door every time I wake up and every time I go to sleep. If I'm not with him, I'm with sin. So I encourage my family to hold me accountable. I encourage my friends to point out my flaws when they see it. Because they are to strengthen me as I'm to strengthen them. I want to show them God. And the only way I can do it is to show a change in my life. I got to walk when I'm talking. Amen. I got to say, follow me. And I want to show you this God that saved my life. I want to show you this God that moved me from South St. Louis to Vandalia, Illinois. I want to show you the God that could have left me the many nights I called and said, where are you if you're real? So I need to preach and I need to walk just like Christ. This is so important that Paul mentions it three times. Three times. In 1 Corinthians 11, 1, it says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Paul is challenging everyone that he talks to to zoom in 
to put his life under the, mag the magnifying glass. To call him out if he was to stray off course. We need accountability. The only time that I have seen or myself I have fallen is when I separated myself from everybody else and held myself to accountable only to God to fall weak in a moment and no one to call me out. Why is it that we, the people, we think more what people think about us than what God thinks about us? But God has designed it. He always sent them out in two because he wanted them to be accountable. He said, what good is one if he falls? Who's going to help him get up? That's why you leave your mother and cling to a wife. Two. Where two or three are gathered. I mean, there's a reason God has set you with that person next to you. There's a reason that you're drawn to that person. And again, he said in Philippians 3.17, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the examples you have in us. Follow me. Hold me accountable. Make sure I'm walking when I'm preaching because I know the penalty if I was to preach something and live a totally different lifestyle. And again, in 1 Corinthians 4, 16, he says, I urge you, I urge you, if you don't believe what I'm saying here, if you don't believe my testimony, then follow me. What was once a drug addict, what was once a womanizer, fatherless, no family, what was once, follow me and see what I have now. See what he has restored. Follow me. Don't just take my word on it. Watch me. Be imitators of me. So we are called to be the salt, to go out and penetrate society, to penetrate other youth group, to penetrate the schools, to penetrate our work. We are called to go out and penetrate. Oh, Brother Ralph, but what if something gets on me? You know the words that don't go lay hands on people. Then you pray. Lord Jesus. And then you go in. Amen? Amen. You're cloaked now. You're good to go. No, there's confidence here. And I heard this from a preacher. Uh, his name's Todd. I forget his last name. I think it's White. Awesome. He said, never allow someone who sins against you to produce the sin in you. Okay? That person is not my problem. I was. And I already died to that. Amen? So why am I and I've been raised with him. I'm like him. There's no reason I can take your sin and plant it inside me. Come on. There's no room. There's no room. Amen. You can go all the way back because in, inside here there's no room. Even if sin was to come, right now I am filled with the presence of God. And there is no vacancy, no occupancy. There's no room for it right now. That's why we come into the presence of God. Because when he gets inside us, once he fills us, all this other junk comes out. And you don't think about it until you go back outside and then you're cloaked with it again. But in here we're full of God. And every time sin comes, all of a sudden the sign comes up. No vacancy. High five. That's what God does. That's how he did it the first time he, the first time I, he called me. I had an option there. Just like when he was born. It was in Luke uh, 2 verse 7. They gave birth in a manger. Why? They tried to share Jesus Christ with the owner of a business. You know what he told them? 
hey, we need to come in. I got, I just give birth. God, we need to come in. No vacancy. No room. Come on. You mean to tell me that as a baby, he tried to enter into somebody and they turned him down? They rejected him? They was filled with all kinds of other stuff. Who knows what's inside that end? Alcoholics, drug addicts, thieves, uh, politicians. Come on. Who knows what's stuffed inside that room? You know what I mean? But when God came, when Mary came about to give birth to God, here we are. No vacancy. I got no room for you, God. See? Smoking's here. Porn's here. I got this here. Baggage that my dad did to me back here. Sorry. Booked up. I tell you what, you can try the major across the street. I think they got all kinds of junk in there. I mean, you can probably get a shovel and throw that stuff out. There's so much in there. But we have no room for it. See, I remember that. Because I remember when he called me. I was full. How do you know you was full, Ralph? Because nothing else could do it. I tried it all. And I was still as lost as I was the first time I tried drugs. You know how you did it? I don't know if I'm speaking to anybody who's done drugs, but you get the first high and you think you're invincible, all the problems go away. Here we go, yes, I found it. I don't know why everybody else is talking bad about it. This stuff is good. It changed in my life right now. I'm free. Four months later, nothing. Family don't trust you. Your own mother, your own mother looks at you like you're some kind of criminal or monster. I grew up with family who would sell something to my grandpa and then steal it back. We had a lock on our deep freeze. It wasn't because we had fat kids in the house. I know what you're thinking. No, it wasn't. It was because they would steal the meat and sell it to the neighbors. Sorry, Rose, I know. I know what you're thinking. My wife's mom put a little pig on the, on the refrigerator and said, you keep going in that refrigerator, you're going to like that pig. <laughs> Sorry, Mom. Just joking. But it wasn't because all the kids ate too much or he's afraid we was going to get too big or we was just so... Ble- no, they would steal it. They stole everything. They stole everything. My house had an open-door policy. What do you mean? We didn't have locks. And we lived in South St. Louis. Ooh, that's pretty dangerous, Rob. Yeah, grew up in an all-black neighborhood, too. There's four white houses on there. And there's family. So we was known around the neighborhood because we was wild. But we didn't lock our doors. Why? Because there's people everywhere. What are you going to steal? We ain't got nothing. I didn't even have a bed. Hey, listen, I didn't even have a bed. If, if I got there first, that's mine. That's my bed. Hey, you can ask my friend when he came up here. He got, hey, spent all of his money on a nice necklace. You know how it is. Hey, you grow up in the hood. You ain't got no house. You ain't got nothing. But you got a nice car. You got nice clothes. You make sure you look good. You know what I mean? I don't know, he got to look good. So he bought this real nice necklace, spent all of his money on it. He passed out in my house. <laughs> I just told him we got no doors. Why? Because we got nothing to steal. And then you're going to pass out in my house. My aunt crept on him. <laughs> he woke up. Oh, man. Don't complain to me. I ain't got nothing neither. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, I was born in this. Amen? But that's what it's like. So when the Lord called me, well, how did he do it, Rob? Lightning? No. Thunder? Did it? Mm-mm. I thought it would be. I thought if God called, gosh, he was going to shake something. You know what I mean? Mm-mm. 
How do you do it, Rob? By a man of God. I'll tell you how God works here. And don't be quick to write off people. Because you never know who's going to save your life. And it's not the person, but it's the God in the person. Amen. So here, and the pastors used it over and over. He used to drive down, and he wanted to start a church. He went through a low time in his ministry and everything, but God was moving him. And he was driving down to build a church in St. Louis. Him, the cloves. Keep the cloves in your, in your prayers because they're a big part of my life and the dedication they had. Well, they would load up this van, and I'm sharing it with those who are not from Family Worship Center. I know you heard this before. Uh, but they drove the van down, and we used to haul these speakers, and they used to come down. And, of course, I, hey, when you're in sin, it's hard. You know what I mean? That's why I don't, I, I don't hold. That's my wife. She hates me because I bring people to my house over and over. She wants to get a smaller house. That way I can't move nobody in. You know what I mean? And I thank God that he has protected my house, and no one's been hurt, and nothing major has been stolen but maybe a piggy bank, you know, here and there. You know what I mean? So that's it. I thank God for that. But she wants to get a smaller house because I keep opening my house. And maybe it's because of my past that I had all these people around. Maybe that makes me feel, I don't know. But she had a point. Rob, you have opened your house, and you have put three, four people inside a room to help change her life. And zero lives were impacted. I wouldn't say impacted. I'm hoping I plant something there, you know, that maybe Brother Jess or or Pastor or, or, or maybe someone will water later and reap the crop. Amen. I'm praying for that. See, we don't know what's going on behind the doors. Amen. Just like, that's right, just like God or just like Pastor Tracy didn't know that when he was packing these big old 80 pound, 65 pound speakers in a van and hauling the bay base. Come on, parents. You know how it is when you pack these guys up for a 30-minute ride, pack them up for an hour ride with speakers that they don't have no room because you done took up two of the seats, putting them in there. Amen? So you're driving down trying to start a ministry in South City. It don't seem odd to you guys because you guys have probably about the number of churches you have bars here. I mean, it's, it's actually pretty awesome. But you go to South St. Louis, I mean, it's like three or four to one. You know what I mean? And here he's trying to grow a church there, and he don't know anybody there. So him and my father in the clothes, they come down, they try to plant a church. But see, what pastor didn't know, there was never going to be a church in South St. Louis. Sorry. But he was in the will of God. He wanted to share the gospel. He wanted to change lives. So he drove there back and forth, back and forth, and it just didn't work out. Everything just kept coming against him. But he would call on the way there, and he would call me, and he shared this story just last week. And he would say, hey, Rob, I'm Troy. I'll be there. And say, okay, yeah, Pastor, come on. You know. You know what I mean? It just wasn't there. I don't know what happened. And he would call again, and I might go this time, and even my wife, I mean, we was honest. My wife, I remember one service, she said, Pastor, that was a good service. I'm going to be honest with you, I'm going to the wedding tonight and I'm getting drunk. <laughs> well, you can deal with that. You can deal with honesty. Because now you know what to work on. See, the problem is we're not honest with one another. We don't share our flaws. Why? Oh, they ain't going to think I'm Jesus. You're not. And if I sacrificed you, we'd have to keep doing it over and over. 
I'd have to go through all your offsprings because you would never be perfect. So we need to show the world that we're not perfect. They're scared of us because they think that we think we're perfect. And they know we're not. So they, everything we say, they count as lies. So we need to hold ourselves accountable. So he would drive down, and then he got a little sneaky. Maybe it was the wisdom of God. God said, hey, you want wisdom? Pray. He'll give you wisdom. So then he called right when he's out front. Hey, Rob, I'm out front. Can't run. Where you going to go now? You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? It's me and Duke. But I'll tell you why. I'm talking about penetrating. I'm talking about being the salt. See, pastor would come in my house. And he would clear the tables of beer bottles. Set up the Bible study. And start a Bible study. Not being afraid of what's going to get on him. Because he knew there was no room. It was already occupied. No vacancy. Nothing can come in because he So he would clear the table. I remember one time I even had one of my friends. He, he called me. He wouldn't come up. It was Sunday. And his name is Mazin Fatah. Yep. Yep. Think of the name. Mazin Fatah. I met him at the casino. He became my lead. And he worked really hard. He's, uh, the, first, uh, the president uh, Clinton brought him over because his, he's from Iraq, northern Iraq, in uh, Turkey. He's a Kurdish. And they brought him over because his uncle would show the soldiers where everything was. He wore the... You know, the mask, the kind of cloth around his face. Well, as payment, he brought his family over. So we got. And, I, and he called me up. He's like, what are you doing? Are you watching a ba- Yeah, I'm watching a football game. It's Sunday afternoon. Who don't watch football on Sunday afternoon? Especially, you know, in the city. So he shows up. Pastor's got the Bible chart. He's a Muslim, man. <laughs> he got the Bible chart set up, and he comes in. Hey, Rob. And he comes in. 12-pack in his hand. <laughs> Looks. Oh, Mazine, this is my pastor. This is Pastor Tracy Zimmerman, or Brother Tracy Zimmerman, I think at the time. He's, oh, my God. You seen it on his face. He didn't know what to Hey, but he's a soldier. He stayed there the whole time. And he shared the teaching that they got and how they was brought up. But my point is, we can't be afraid to go. Because that's what we're called to do. We can't be afraid that something's going to... Shake inside us something because if we grab numbers, if we say, follow me, hold me accountable, we can go anywhere. Because once I start to drift, my eyes start to linger. Once my, my thought, once the sin starts to develop, you can smack it right out of me. Be strong, brother. Let's move. Don't stand still. Don't dwell. Push forward. But if we're alone, come on now. Am I the only one? It's when you're alone is when you're in trouble. So you want to say, well, I just want pastor. I I just want to be by myself. You might as well tell your pastor you're about to go commit sin. Mm, I don't believe that, Rob. Go be by yourself. Come on. I've done it. I isolated myself. Then all of a sudden this thing started ticking. I don't know about you guys, but I got some crazy thoughts up here. I mean, I know some of you, you should pray for me right now. I ain't lying. You should pray some of the things that go on here. 
I share with my young people. Because I don't want them to feel alone. And I'll tell you what's empowering when you know that you are equipped to do what God has called you to do. See, because the devil jumped on my back as soon as I tried to, to become assistant or become youth pastor. For a long time, it felt so awkward and so weird for someone to call me Pastor Rob. My friends in South St. Louis, they couldn't believe it. They would see me, and they made it as a joke, but what they was doing was prophesying over me. They would go, here comes Reverend Rob. Hey, Rev. Rob, you know what I mean? Sprinkling me. Sprinkling me. You know what I mean? Because I didn't think I was qualified. I'm a sinner. And I had an image of the church being pure and perfect. But it's until I started walking with God. And I ran across an old, old author. See? S. Lewis. And I ran across a, a book my cousin loaned me, but I heard the audio when I was driving, Mere Christianity. And I never realized each and every person in here is equipped to preach against sin and qualified. If you are qualified to anything, you are more qualified in you and knowing what your thoughts are and what you do. So that, that spoke to my spirit, and I realized all I have to do is just preach of my filth, my trials, my struggles, my thoughts. You mean to tell me I'm not alone in all these years? He told me I was alone, that I was nobody, that I would never amount to nothing, that I had two choices. Either I was going to be in jail or in the grave. You mean all the time he was lying? That inside me there's something greater? Inside me there's deliverance? Come on, church. Let's all stand. I'm going to close right here. Amen. I want to empower you with this word right here. You have two obligations to Christ Jesus. To follow him and to lead somebody else. That's it. I guarantee you everything else is going to work out for you. Because if you're following him, and you're preaching him, people are going to want to follow you. I would follow you. Because I've been on the other side. I hurt. I got so numb to death. Because in this, in, in, from 1992 to... 1994, you know, I experienced, like I told you before, my mother was killed just two blocks from my house, not even two blocks. There was a vacant lot across the street from my house, and behind the vacant lot was an alley, and there was a house there. She was killed there. A bad drug deal gone bad. Raped and murdered and left like trash not even a couple years later my 17 year old cousin walking to go get some 40 ounces him, his brother and my uncle and he bumped shoulders with a guy who was 6 foot 4 200 something pounds my cousin was maybe 150 and just sorry cousin 
sins. Silence. He was a blood. And he had words. My cousin being raised there with pride. The word says before the pride comes before the fall. Adam and Eve fell because of pride. Lucifer because of pride. Man always falls because of pride. So instead of crossing the street, he decided to walk right back down the same street. But this time, the guy had a sawed-off shotgun. My cousin, his brother, and my uncle. They're trying to tell him, Rob, let's cross the street. Let's cross the street. The dude's six foot four, two hundred some pounds. Pride. He took two, one in the shoulder and one in the back. Left there trash hot chips eight years old had a disease nine died this was common people getting shot this is what I expected this is life the enemy put this this fog over me and this is life adapt survive bought into it. He used to carry around a gun all the time. It made me feel bigger. Tougher. Until trouble broke out and I had to use it. Somebody's life never was the same. I think back and I wonder why. Because I had to survive or was I tricked? I don't know the troubles that you have. The Lord hasn't gave me any, any inroad into your life. He just wanted me to share mine. To let you know that you're not alone in your situation. The enemy would like you to think you're alone. Because as he gets you off away from the flock, he can have his way with you. But in this body, in this district, We've already proved on a Saturday night, if we come together, we can change lives as a body of believers. Amen. I won't have a hangover tomorrow from this Saturday night get together. I can dance like that and not have a, a drop of alcohol in me because of Christ and what he done for me. So put last night, put yesterday far away you're gonna fall you're going but you're gonna get back up and if you believe that and Christ pushing and pulling on you you will last you will finish the race and I guarantee you as my life is a testimony, is evident to you right now, he will restore everything that the enemy has taken from you and he will multiply it. I have a family. I have a mother. I have a spiritual father. I am blessed and highly favored. There's no lock on my freezer at home. I leave my door open, not because I don't have nothing to steal, because God gave me everything. And he can take it anytime he wants. 
every young person in my youth group and the ones who graduated out of my youth group know the combination of my house. Matter of fact, we need to change that. It's all God's. Once I gave him my life, once I died, everything from that moment on is his. That's the decision I made. That's the decision. So why are we being selfish with certain things in our life, certain sins, certain pleasure? When you said, I'll die with you in order to rise with you, but yet, so I want to connect with you tonight. And I want to pray real quick before we dismiss. And I'm talking to leaders here. Leaders who know how to lead because they have followed Christ or the man of God following Christ. A leader because they know what it's like to follow. They know what it's like to fall. They know what it's like to pick themselves up. They know what it's like to admit that they are wrong. To admit that they have fallen. To share their testimony that's going to strengthen their brother. To say, I too once fell. Which gives me all right to speak that what you're going through will not last another night because I too have been delivered from addiction so you will be delivered from addiction if you follow me. I too was delivered from pornography. You too can be delivered from pornography. I can speak the power because I was given the power to beat all the addictions in my life. And if you don't believe it, you're going to fight the same fight over and over until you say, God, it's all yours. It's all yours. Strengthen me. Go to your neighbor. Hold me accountable. What do you mean? I struggle. Uh-oh. Here's what pride's going to come in because you're going to see their ears perk up. Struggle. say this, but I encourage you to watch who you hold you accountable to. That's why I'm saying you must be a good follower of those who follow Christ. Because if you try to hold yourself accountable to the wrong person, so pray about it. He will send somebody. He's already put them in your life probably. Somebody that you've been mentoring and you don't even realize it. Somebody who's been following you. Somebody you've been sowing into. Maybe not spiritual words, but yet just your walk alone is encourage them. That's the person. That's your Timothy. That's the one when you fall that's going to lift you up and not kick you when you're down. That's the one. So as you close your eyes, I want to pray for strength because I know there's some battles here, not only this morning, because I know any time that we set off a date, any time we set off a time where we're going to go and be with God, devil likes to show up before and maybe last night didn't go the way you planned and maybe you tried everything and you called everyone but no one seemed to answer and all of a sudden you fell into that sinful desire the lust of your heart 
And you woke up this morning and everything inside you called you worthless and you don't deserve it and there couldn't be a God if you fall like that and you don't deserve His grace and mercy. But yet somebody beside you said, are you going tonight? And everything inside you, everything that was unclean screamed out, I cannot go. I'm unworthy. You're the one I'm talking to. Because you're not alone. You're surrounded by failure. You're surrounded by warriors of God who have stumbled and got back up. You're surrounded by those who have made a mistake but cast their cares on God and would strengthen in the very area that you're struggling in. And how can we draw from the testimonies of our brothers and sisters if they don't know what we're going through? If we don't become unashamed and let the gospel do its will in our life. If we don't lift one another up, how are we ever going to make this? You are called to preach and you are called to lead. If you're not doing one, you're not living to what God has called you to do. Because he said, follow me. Imitate me. So, Lord God, we come to you tonight, all broken, but restored, restored because of you. All of us, Lord, was hopeless and found hope in you. Lord, this is not a body of non-believers. One would think that this message is for a non-believer, but it's not. It's for the true saints, the one who have a calling over their life, the one that the devil has been picking on and throwing rocks at from the time that they was born because they knew, Lord, that you said, this one right here is my child. This one right here in 2017 is going to lay hands on the sick. It's going to lay hands on the broken, the hopeless. And in 2017, they're going to be delivered because of this child right here. Because of what you spoke over that person. Because of their mom's prayers. Because of their grandma's prayers, Lord God. He tried to take this vessel down. But we're all living proof of your grace and mercy. And we've all died to death through the sin, Lord. And Lord, we take it tonight, this Saturday night, when many of us, Lord, would have never been caught in a church on Saturday night. We say thank you, Lord. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Thanks for reaching your hand down when I was broken and I've fallen. Thanks for being there, Lord God, when the very woman that gave birth to me would not look at me. Thanks for being there, Lord God, when the very father who was called to protect and, and help me, Lord, hurt me. Thanks for being there, Lord God, when a friend that I put all my trust into turned around and told somebody else and turned the knife on my back. Thanks for being there, God, when no one else could, when drugs couldn't do it no more, when alcohol ran out. Lord, when all of a sudden I was in that very low place and it occurred on me if I would just take my life right now, no one would miss me. But then all of a sudden you showed up. All of a sudden you said, give this life that you're willing to take to me. And I'll promise you, life more abundant. That's what we want here, Lord. We just want to live in your will. We just want to live in your will, Lord God. So, Lord, shrink us and magnify you in us, Lord God. Allow us to shed some things to become thinner, Lord. That way they can see more of you. In Jesus' name.
we pray. Amen. If you can just raise your hands. Now's the time to just give him his glory. Now's the time to thank him for what he's done in your life. Your testimony is your weapon. I prayed over and over, Lord God, why am I going through certain things when I know that you can easily deliver me out of it? It's because he was equipping me for a young person. He was equipping me for somebody else, somebody who was hurt. And he gave me a testimony where I can go into the house. I can remove the bottles off the table. I can look through their sin and see the hurt and the pain. You. Go ahead and sing it with us.